Mic on. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Mic off. Mic on. Winter blind camp for Monday morning first meeting. Enjoy. Mic off. Mic on. This is for February 1st, 2021. Mic off. Okay, I'm waiting. I'd like to welcome you to the 2021 Winter Camp for the Blind and Physically Challenged. This is the first full day of Winter Camp. It's February 1. This is a little after 7 o'clock right now. And then at 10 a.m., we'll have the New Start Healthy Living program. Three o'clock, we'll have the uh, seminar for depression. And then seven o'clock, we'll have our Bible class in the evening. Due to COVID-19, Camp Asabo is closed down. So we are having this virtual camp meeting at the Holly Seventh-day Adventist Church. To try to maintain social distancing, we have a panel of six people at eight-foot tables so they can stay six feet away from each other. And then also we have seven-foot canes. Uh, when we lead our blind people on their hikes uh, so that we can keep six-foot social distancing while we're leading the blind people around. The program will be as follows. We're into the welcome and announcements now. We'll have the song service. We're going to have Rodney Ritchie tell how God has helped him in his life. We'll have a prayer. We'll have the special music. And then we'll have our Bible class for the morning. We're ready for the song service at this time. Let's turn in our hymn, in our song books to page six. Let's sing that old favorite hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. Yeah. 
Sing, Hosanna, 
I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got love like an ocean, I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got love like an ocean, I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. All right, now let's turn in our hymnals to page 412, Covered with His Life. Look upon Jesus, sinless is He. Father, impute His life unto me. My life of scarlet, my sin and woe, covered with his life, whiter than snow, covered with his life, whiter than snow, oh, fullness of his life, then shall Is your mic working, uh, I think Rodney? Well. You can take your mask off while you're talking. It might Hello? Be yep. Okay, go okay. ahead. Um, I would like to start with prayer. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for the rest, and we thank you that we're here at camp, and just guide my words and so people can relate and understand. Guys, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, I, I don't really know where to start, but I think... Uh, I should start where I, for academy because my parents were poor. Okay, so I th that's one of my testimonies that he provided Christian education for me. 
And uh, I tell you one thing, I thank God every day that I did have a Christian education because of, I you know, after I graduated from Cedar Lake, I, I did rebel for a while, but Christ brought me back. Amen. And uh, like I tell all my friends and family, you know, I, my, my physical eyesight is horrible, but my spiritual sight is wide open. So I just keep on, you know, keep on, keep on, keep on testifying my faith and drop little tidbits here and there, like uh, have a blessed day and, you know, just basically I keep going until Christ comes. Amen. So if you have any hassles with life, just remember God's there for you. Amen. So keep, keep, like I said, keep going. Jesus is number one in my life and and then, of course, my family, my church family, and, you know, I've, I might not, like I said, I might not have the best of sight, but I do participate in my church. I, I'm an uh, ordained deacon, so I help pick up offering. I help pick up the church. You know, I, I don't have, the, like I said, I don't have the best of eyes, but I do my level best to help out as much as I can. So that, that, that's uh, basically it. Thank you, Rodney. You're welcome. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for keeping us through the night. We thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for the inspirational songs that were sang this morning. And we thank you that everyone came. We ask that thou be with those that are here and those that are online. And may the Holy <laughs> Spirit guide each of us in our thinking today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, special music they said here is next. I have a song that I'll sing this morning for special music. Uh, I learned this song in, in Wisconsin Camp for the Blind. There was a fella there that they called him Grandpa Smith. Now Grandpa, he had one of these little squeeze boxes and he could really make that thing go. And he sang this song, uh, I Have a Wonderful Guest at My House. And uh, so I learned the tune, but then there was a blind man in, in Chicago that helped me get the words. And uh, he would listen to it on a tape, and then he'd write a few words down. And then he'd listen to it and then write a few more words down. And then he sent it to me, and hopefully I got it memorized. Let's see if I do. Okay, we have a wonderful guest at our house who makes a home a heaven every day. And this wonderful guest at our house has promised us he'll never go away. He brought a lovely letter from his father up above. And every day we read it, for it tells us of his love. And when we go to sleep at night, he's always there to make things right. This wonderful guest at our house, who makes a home a heaven every day. 
We have a wonderful guest at our house who makes a home a heaven every day. And this wonderful guest at our house has promised us he'll never go away. His name is Jesus, and because he loves us one and all, he'd like to visit your house if you care to have him call. And so someday you should decide, just ask him in and he'll abide. This wonderful guest at our house, who makes a home a heaven every day. Now our Bible lesson by Pastor Fred Calkins. Thank you. I really appreciated that song. Um, this singing a cappella is uh, very much like we do when we're at camp. So that's great. I, I, I love it. And uh, there's some, some extra special benefits with that too. We continue with our, our studies in uh, Hebrews 11. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we open your word, we want you to speak to us. Help us to understand your will and your way for having been here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. This is verses 5 and 6. By faith Enoch, that's the next character mentioned after the one we looked at last night, Abel. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the essence of the saved life, believing the gift that God has given to us of restoring us from the pit of sin that we dug for ourselves. So the story is about Enoch and his walk with God. Now, there's a number of challenging hikes in this world. I spent a week on the Appalachian Trail. Most people take closer to six months to hike it, and I didn't hike the whole thing, just oh, a few miles, 50, 60 miles. Um, Appalachian Trail is about 2,200 miles long. There are other trails, some longer. The Pacific Crest Trail starts in Canada and ends in Mexico, 2,653 miles. Yeah, that takes closer to eight months to hike that one. Interesting thing we found, and I observed it in this short stretch, mostly in Virginia that I hiked the AT. You go from the valley to the mountaintop, back down to the river, and then back up to another mountaintop. This is up and down, up and down, up and down. Most of these most challenging hikes are that way. Um, my uh, son-in-law, Orion Lawrence, told me that he was able to see the beginning of a, uh, it's only 96 kilometers, what's that, about 60 miles, that uh, in the MPNG, Papua New Guinea. They call it the Kokoda Track. It takes 10 days, 10 days to hike 60 miles, but it will wear you out. <laughs> And, of course, there's a great Himalaya trail. If I'm understanding this correctly, it's only uh, 1,700 miles, but takes you five months to hike it. And I understand 
that is designed so that you have tea houses that you spend the night at, so you don't even have to carry a big pack, but you'll still get worn out. Uh, yet, looking at these hikes that we have on this earth, the most intriguing hike that we ever read about is this one of Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's about what it says. Genesis chapter 4. Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. After he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. That verse 24, Enoch walked with God. I hope to share this morning how he walked with God. What, what's the essence of his walk that we can apply in our lives so we can have a walk with God? Now, to look at this story of Enoch, I really need to back up and look at his great, great, let me see how many greats there are. Yeah, great, great, great grandfather Seth and then his great, 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 great grandfather Adam. Uh, they were all alive when Enoch was born. That is, um, Adam lived until Enoch was over 300 years of age, so he had time to talk with, with this one who had communed face-to-face -face with God. And then he also had this opportunity to talk with Seth, who was, well... It sounds a little too blunt to say it this way, and it's really not this simple, but he was God's replacement of, of Abel. When Abel died, Adam and Eve were devastated, and according to Scripture, God provided them another son, Seth, who looked very much like Adam. We read that Adam was created in the image of God, and then we read that Seth was created in the image of Adam. Some children look like their daddies. Some don't. Seth looked like his daddy. That's a testimony of, uh, of appearance. But more significantly than physical appearance was that Seth sought to have the walk with God, the character of his father. And that was passed down through the generations. And that's essentially what, what we find in Enoch. I'm sure Enoch listened attentively to those parents of his. But the story emphasizes something very significant. When Enoch was 65, he had his son Methuselah. Now, we think that's old to start having your family. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't unusual in that day and time. There is some wisdom in um, getting some maturity before you start raising children. Today we have too many children raising children, and they're not doing a very good job, and it gets kind of messy. I have noticed the uh, many of the significant spiritual leaders of Scripture were born to parents who had significant maturity. Most not as much as did Abraham when Isaac was born. We'll get to that story later on this week. But... Um, enough of them that we start scratching our heads that these folks thought that they weren't going to have any children. And they said, okay, God, I will serve you. And God said, yes, I know, but now I want you to rear a child. Now that you understand walking with me, 
So 65, he had his, his boy. Now, um, it is in the providence of God that in having children, we learn some very significant lessons of how to walk with God. As we teach that child to walk, they hold on to our finger and they learn issues of trust and dependence. I have a, uh, a granddaughter over in Laos. Her name is Phoebe, and Bonnie's been able to spend much of this year with her, my wife, Bonnie. But um, Phoebe is learning to walk, and I was talking with Bonnie about it. A, a couple of weeks ago, Phoebe wanted to hang on to two fingers and, and be led, and she's a year old now, so she's, she's almost ready to start walking. Some I know, some of my children started walking when they were nine months old. You fall and bruise your nose a lot that way. She's being careful, and that's okay. But now, this last week, she wants to just hold on to one finger, and she decides where they're going to go. She wants to go over there, and so she leads Bonnie this way and that. You learn these things as you, as you teach your child. I believe in God's providence, having children helps us learn to be unselfish. The primary sin of life is selfishness. And by having children, God helps us learn to not be selfish. The record is that as Enoch learned from his son Methuselah, learning from him, Enoch learned how to walk with God. And that transference, Enoch took 300 years to develop closeness with God, that the time came, God said, Enoch, come home with me. God took him home to heaven. There's only a couple folks in Scripture that we have walking from this earth to glory without seeing death. Enoch is one. Notice something else here. Enoch was a prophet. He named his son Methuselah. Well, that doesn't mean anything to us. That's just a long name, and, and most of us remember that name because, oh, he's the oldest man who ever died. 969 years. We'll get into more of that story when we get it at Noah's life. But um, the name Methuselah means when he dies, the end. What a statement. Enoch names this boy that he is going, when he dies, the end. Now, I'm sure everybody who met this, because they had one language in that time. There was no translation problem. They knew this boy is called, when he dies, the end. And uh, people watched him getting older and older. And sure enough, just a few weeks before the flood is when Methuselah died. You would have thought that the people would have said, well, when he dies, the end has died, so the end is upon us, and there's a rescue boat. But precious few paid attention to that prophecy. We also, from Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, discern that Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. In a godless age, when people were selfish and mean, he taught them about God and righteousness doing the right thing. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. He confronted sin. 
Another thing Jude tells us that he preached about the second coming. He told people that Christ was coming in clouds of glory to rescue this world from the sin problem that we had developed. They did not listen to Enoch, and they're not listening to us today very well. This world is getting very, very wicked. How did Enoch accomplish this? Well, I believe he accomplished it by finding a balance between time with God and time sharing God with others. He had his personal time with God and then his public time sharing God. As I contemplate Enoch having 300 years to learn to walk with God, I'm struck with something. We're living close to the end of the world. I've read the back of the book. Jesus is coming soon. And I can't plan on 300 years to learn to walk with God. I remember when I was baptized at about 12 years of age, and I was committed to serving the Lord, but it was a very selfish serving of the Lord for me. I wanted to serve the Lord so that I would get to heaven. And I was probably about 50 when that came confronted to me. I remember, I well remember, we were having a revival meeting at our church, and the preacher was talking about how if we as a people had been serious about following God, he would have come over a hundred years ago. And I piped up in my selfishness, my short-sighted vision, and I said, well, I'm glad he didn't come then because I wasn't alive then. <laughs> well, you can see how I was thinking, but that's selfish. That's about me. And the preacher looked at me with sadness on his face and said, Fred, it's not about you. I was looking as if life was all about me, that only the things circling my life were what was important. But he just opened my eyes and I realized, oh, God, it's about God. It's not about Fred. It's about God. And my life is really not anything except as it brings glory to God. And it just, it has transformed my life to get that perspective. Um, I'll never be the same again. <laughs> so now I'm ready to say whether I live or die, it's for him. I, I want to be for him. We do have in Scripture three parallel Bible characters that help us learn to walk with God. We don't have much of the Enoch story. We have a lot more of the Elijah story. And Elijah is the other person who we have the story of him being taken to glory without seeing death. That story is particularly in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Elijah is asking him, I really want to see you go. And Elijah says to his uh, the next prophet, he says, well, if you see me go, then you'll get this reward that you want. And he'd ask for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, for years, I thought he was asking, I want to have twice as much miraculous power as you have, Elijah. And that sounds so selfish. Then when I studied the Old Testament, I discerned that he's asking, I want to have the portion that the eldest son gets. 
the eldest son gets a double portion, and then each of the other sons get a single portion. And that's all Elisha was asking from Elijah. He said, I want to be that eldest son recipient of God's blessing that you have. And so it was not a, a greedy attitude. And sure enough, he did. He, he was able to see him go. Verse 11, it happened as they continued on and talked. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separating the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. That's what it says. Oh, what exciting that thing was. So in this experience of Elijah, we can study how he learned to trust God for his daily food. Miraculously, God provided food for Elijah, and God will do the same for us. And God will empower the confronting of sin. We see that in Elijah's life as he called Ahab on, on account for his sin and had that big challenge up on Mount Carmel where one of those illustrations, like we touched on last night, fire from heaven came and consumed the sacrifice and more. Second person we have in Scripture that helps us understand this walk with God would be John the Baptist. Jesus called John the Baptist a, uh, a prophet like Elijah. And if Elijah went to heaven without seeing death, you'd say, well, then John the Baptist should go to heaven without seeing death. But you know the story of John the Baptist. He was beheaded. He was a martyr, very much like Abel had been a martyr. Matthew 11, 7 to 15 is where Jesus said, if you're ready to accept it, John the Baptist was modern Elijah confronting sin. And so we look at the story of John the Baptist. Most of his life he spent in the wilderness communing with God, learning to trust God. And then for the last couple years of his life, he spent it in public confronting sin, inviting people to repentance, baptizing them one after another there in the Jordan. And we have more about the story when he baptized Jesus because that was such a uh, different experience. When Jesus came to be baptized, John sensed in Jesus' life purity, nobility, holiness. And John knew that he wasn't. Now, I know. He was a good man, and any of us who met him would have said that he was a godly man. But he knew in his own heart that he was sinful, self-centered. And when Jesus came and said, I'm ready to be baptized, John said, um, that's upside down. You should be the one that's baptizing me rather than me baptizing you. And Jesus said, John, this is the way God wants it. John said, okay, if that's the way God wants it, that's the way I want it. That's simple enough, straightforward. Um, that's a second person. The third one that, that helps me understand how Enoch walked with God, and we have a lot more of this story, is how Jesus walked with his father. We have, especially during his life of ministry, but implications from during his, his first 30 years of life, the Bible points at what kind of life Jesus lived. We discern that Jesus had a daily communion with God, often getting up a great while before day, going out to a solitary place and praying, so he's combining this time with God and time with nature. Time with nature is an important aspect of this walk with God. 
And we find that Jesus went about continually doing good deeds. It was just the normal aspect of Jesus' life to help somebody. And we can practice that too. We can do that. Um, we find Jesus counseling people, confronting sin, amazingly gracefully. We need to learn some lessons on that. Um, it was, he was tactful, and he tended to use Scripture when he confronted sin. So, I'm finding three points in this, four points, excuse me, um, in this walk with God. And I'm going to share those four points with you, and then we'll amplify them just a little bit as we finish up this message. Because I want to know how to have this walk with God that Enoch had so that God's preparing a generation in these last days who will be ready to be translated without seeing death. We don't have 300 years, folks. We're, we're lucky if we get 50 or 100 years. I told you I was 12 when I was baptized, and I was 50 when I, was, when I, when I had the vision of the loveliness of God and this, wanted to serve him out of love. Um, we don't know how long we have. Best get busy at it. It's it's a much shorter time than than Enoch had. So, four points: do what God says, even if what He says does not make any sense. We have an illustration from Elijah on that. God said, "Go live beside the brook," and then God fed him. Had the birds bring him food morning and evening so that he was satisfied. And then God said, go to Zarephath, outside of Israel, and I'll take care of you. And then he told the widow, feed me first, and then God will provide for you and your boy. Miraculously, God multiplied the food. Obey God, even if it doesn't make any sense, because God is able to supply all our need. And the biggest miracle that God does is changing our nature. We say, but God, I like the things that aren't good for me. And he says, I will change you so that you don't like those things anymore. What a testimony. What, what an experience God does for us. Um, do what God says to do, even if it doesn't make any sense. He who tells you what to do also empowers you to do it. Second point, pray much. Daily communion, and listen more than talk. And learn to have a continual awareness of the presence of God. First Thessalonians 5, I think is verse 17, says, pray without ceasing. God invites us to be aware of his presence in our life on a continual basis. And the fourth point is joy in the Lord. In nature and in life, talk about the goodness of God. Make his goodness the thing that surrounds you. It will matter. So, I said I'd amplify these a little bit. Number one, to do. Do what God says. When you hear a whisper of God, this is what I want you to do. Just do it. Slow obedience, we said last night, is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. When you know what God wants you to do, just do it. Don't pretend that it's a hard decision. He says it. I believe it. I'll honor him. 
prompt to obey. If God tells you to stop doing something, well then stop doing it. No matter how dear that something may be. Matthew 18, Jesus has some words that are a little shocking. But they do make a bit of sense and I'll even tell you a story on this too. Matthew 18 verses 8 and 9. If your hand or foot, this is Jesus talking, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it away from you. It's better for you to enter into life maimed or lame, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Verse 9, and if your eye causes you to sin, I know I'm talking to blind folks, but <laughs> some of you can see a peak. And you treasure what little you have, as we well should. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And I have some blind friends who have, because of cancer in the eye, had to have their eyes taken out. Um, so we understand that from the cancer thing. I promised you a little story. The, uh, the nature man at Indian Creek Camp, Gary Richmond, he, he liked snakes, and he had some very venomous snakes in his collection, and we had them at camp. He carefully kept them in cages, but um, he told me a story of a friend of his who had one of these most venomous snakes in the world, as he, he was, they used the venom from these venomous snakes to make medicines that are useful and beneficial. And so this man, I believe he lived in Arizona, he was, they call it milking, you take the snake, you hold it behind the head, and you make it stick its fangs out, and they have a system whereby they get the juice, the venom, and, and save it. Well, while he was holding that snake, he wasn't holding it quite up close enough to the head, a little too far back on the neck, and the snake twisted its head and stuck a fang and scratched one of his fingers. Well, he knew that this venom was so dangerous to the system that that scratch could kill him. So he very quickly, when he saw that he'd been scratched, he threw the, cage, the, the snake back into the cage, slammed the cage door, and grabbed a knife or a hatchet and cut off his finger. He knew that he needed to not allow that venom to get into his system. So he quickly cut off his finger. Now, <laughs> he, from a very practical lifestyle issue in today, it was 20 years ago, he recognized that there's a time to cut it off. Jesus said that here, when God tells you what to do, it's not a time to dally and say, well, maybe next year I'm going to quit. Maybe tomorrow I'll start. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. When you know what God wants you to do, just do it. Secondly, daily devotional time. It's essential, essential to have our daily devotional time. And we often talk about reading scripture. Well, let me, try, let me share with you. You who are sighted, you think that I'm being careless to say this to blind people. You need to read scripture. But my blind friends are just as or perhaps more faithful in their time with the Lord in scripture you do not need to have physical eyesight to read scripture. 
I have blind friends that read scripture in Braille. I have many blind friends that read scripture with these talking books that we have available. Any of us can hear the scripture read to us. And there are some exceptionally good scripture readers. Um, years ago, the main scripture reader was Alexander Scoraby, and he read the King James Version exceptionally well. I had, I don't, I, I loaned it to somebody and it didn't come back. Um, the scriptures read by HMS Richards. I'd really like to get those again. That was again, King James Version. But virtually any translation of scripture is available to us in the spoken word. And now we have software that will take the printed text and in a somewhat mechanical electronic voice, read it to us. So it's all available. There's no excuse not to let the word of God dwell in you. And you can listen to scripture for hours at a time. It's not a wrong thing. The commitment, time with God, needs to be on a daily basis. Whether it be a half hour, an hour, or several hours. Don't just read the scripture. Allow God to speak to you through those scriptures. Ask him, what are you saying to me? A friend of mine, a pastor, busy, busy, busy with the church. He got a letter from his wife, eight-page letter, saying, Hubby, I know, also, I can summarize it. I never read his letter. Hubby, it feels like you're married to the church instead of married to me. Uh, you're giving your best time to the church and just... Your wife and children are just getting the crumbs. We need more of you. And uh, in his devotions, about the same time that he read that letter from his wife, he was reading John 3.16, and it just spoke, spoke to him powerfully. God so loved that he gave. He realized love will always express itself in giving. If we love, we will give. Time, money, whatever is needed, we will give of ourselves. And he realized that he was not giving to his family. Well, that, that changed his ministry. He uh, made, made family a priority, and it, it really empowered his ministry. It made his ministry more effective, uh, as, as it will for all of us. He found a system of, uh, of listening to God, journaling. He would write prayers to prayers, just as he would read a Bible passage, he would, he would just start writing and kind of stream of consciousness writing, what's, what's God saying to me here? And he would learn things. And of course, by writing it, it's recorded. And I know, I act as if you're going to write it with a physical pen. There's plenty of other options today. Computers make it very easy. You can record it. You can, you can uh, type it in. There's plenty of ways. But uh, as you go back later, a week later, a year later, and you read what you wrote, and uh, you will be impressed. God made a change in my life right there. You can put your finger on it. Um, so journaling can help. You also should, should memorize. I really believe we are wise to be putting passages of Scripture into our minds. I have really appreciated uh, Dan Weiss and his fast, F-A-S-T, a website where memorization is being encouraged and instruction is given. So that's, that's the second point, time with God. 
Third point, God will make you aware of sin. And when God makes you aware of sin, it must be confronted. If that sin is in your own life, you can deal with it very quickly. We already touched on that with that first one about doing. But if that sin is in the life of somebody else, and as we read the story of Enoch, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, we see that they did confront sin. And so we need to be ready to do that. You will observe sin in somebody and need to say something about it. So here's some steps on that. Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. First, cast the beam out of your own life. You, you see some sin in somebody else. The first step is to get on your knees and say, God, I recognize this sin. Show me where I have this problem. I have discerned in my own experience, and I've heard it from others, the sin that we see most quickly in somebody else is the sin that has its own reflection in us. We may be guilty of that sin. We may have gotten the victory over that sin. We may have the flip side, the reciprocal of that sin. You know how the, um, the child of parents that are real messy can be neat freaks to a uh, fault. That's just an illustration. Um, Children of alcoholics can refuse to touch alcohol, but yet become workaholics. So there's, there's a relationship in some of these sins. So on our knees before God, we say, I'm recognizing the sin in this person. And I'm thinking you're asking me to confront it, but Lord, cleanse me so that I'm not confronting them with a blinders in my face, the log in your own eye. Seek forgiveness as though you yourself are guilty of that sin. And, but by the grace of God, we are. We could do any of these terrible, terrible things that we read and hear about. <sighs> Only when we have humbled ourselves before God is it safe for us to expose another's sin. I have recognized that tears were in Jesus' voice as he confronted sin. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Capernaum, as he spoke to these people and confronted their sin, he loved them. They knew that he cared about them. It's only safe for us to confront the sin in a person that we love and they know we love them. We're not trying to hang them out to dry. We're, we're caring about them. That needs to come through. That's point number three. Now on point number four, joy in the Lord. Our life should be a song of praise to God. Every step we take must be in the peace and, sa and satisfaction of Jesus. Now, nature will help with this. There is a thing that is being promoted now. It started in Japan, but it's becoming global. They call it forest bathing, spending time out in nature. In the forest is good. Beside a brook is even better. But um, time in nature, God speaks to us there. We need to spend time where we can hear him. That's one of the reasons that I was so disappointed. We couldn't go to Camp Hosabel for this, for this camp. Um, as we spend time with God in nature, we are filled with a sense of his presence. As I said earlier, pray without ceasing. We need to live in the light of the presence of God, knowing that he is with us. Let that show on your face. 
there should be a smile on your face. Now, the smile will, first of all, let people know that you're happy in the Lord, but here's a, another benefit of that. The most significant thing you can do to make yourself look, look good is to put a smile on your face. <laughs> a face with a smile is much more inviting than a face with a frown or even just a plain face. Put the smile there. Then the love of Jesus will shine through you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And God's character shining through me will attract people to God through me. God wants us not merely to prepare to walk into the kingdom without seeing death. I believe that's available for many of us. But he also wants us to have many others that we have shared his love with to walk into the kingdom with him. Gracious Lord, as we think of Enoch's life and his walk with you, 300 years of walking with you, we pray that you will give us the walk that we need. And we want to spend eternity with you. I pray that you'll guide us as we apply these lessons in our lives, that we can live in love for Jesus, that his life can be shining through our lives to touch others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, that was good. Now, if we can just apply that all to our life, that'll be great. And we can. Because the Lord said that God's biddings are enablings. So when he tells us to do something, he gives us power to do it. Praise the Lord. Well, we got to go to breakfast, and then we got to do some exercise, and then at ten o'clock we got to be back here. So it's going to come fast. So I guess I'll dismiss you. Bye. Mic on. Well, that's all for now. Bye bye. Mic off.